My name is PJ Stevens, here with my PJ Tips podcast on leading business change. I'd like to welcome Daniel Fitzhenry, leader of Southampton City Council and local businessman. So Daniel, please, um, a quick introduction from you. Hello, PJ. Yeah, thank you. Good morning to you. Nice to, uh, to see and be speaking to you again. And um, yeah, it's great, great to be having a conversation about leadership and the opportunities that the world that we're in right now and the challenges that we face. So uh, just tell us a little bit about you. What are you doing at the moment? Yeah, so my main preoccupation, if you like, is uh, sort of nearly 10 weeks into being elected as the, the new leader of Southampton City Council, uh, which is uh, great fun. Um, and that takes obviously quite a, a fair bit of my life. And then on the side of the, the political activity, uh, I provide sort of non-exec and chairman advice to SMEs, which is great fun, having spent my whole life uh, growing, starting and growing businesses as well. So, Daniel, one of the, uh, well, not one of the I think really the, the reason, the primary reason that I asked you on here um, is because most of us are aware of, you know, terms like leadership and change, particularly at the individual team uh, and organisational level. But actually, you've kind of got this fourth level to be concerned with, which, you, you know, you just alluded to. And that's managing or running, you know, Southampton City, leading Southampton City Council through a whole bunch of projects, which leads another uh, offers up another complexity of leadership. So let's start with just leadership of self, would you? What's your what's your thinking around leadership of self? Yeah, thanks, PJ. Well, I think the the, the key one on on these four levels is absolutely leadership of self first. And what this really comes back to is knowing who you are and what you want to achieve, and I suppose then why and why that's important to you, because there's so much noise in the world. As we go on this sort of journey of self-discovery and inward looking, um, we realise that everything outside is just a reflection of sort of inner life. Um, and to to do, in my opinion, to do the other levels of sort of leadership well, or at least do them on a progressive journey that's enjoyable, it's really important to focus on yourself first. And, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of work on this going back thousands of years, but ultimately you, you can't give from an empty glass. You have to keep yourself full, alert, lively, at peace, and knowing where you're going and why, and managing boundaries. I think when you know things get very dark sometimes in, in your work life and your personal life, um, and having a sense of purpose and knowing what's important is absolutely crucial to then creating a vision and following that vision for weeks, months, years, when there perhaps is no physical sign. So what do you <laughs> think? Well, you... It's going to come off. You talk, you talk about purpose, and, and what is it that purpose gives uh, leaders? That's a very good question. I think what purpose gives a leader of any form is the ability to be able to know what's driving them and see what they're seeking. So when you can see things um, you know, in, in a conceptual way, so we're using our imagination to create a picture of the world, where we can see it and we can taste it, we can smell it, we can live it in the now, but of course it's the now plus the future. That, that, that allows leaders to be able to paint a picture and tell a story and bring people on a journey, whatever that journey of achievement or opportunity is. And of course, when we 
move outside that that we know, we're all frightened, whatever level we're at. And the more we can paint a story of comfort and of something that, that goes into our emotional brain that we can conceptually understand, perhaps intellectually not know the path to, it creates a sense of peace and, and picture of where we're going. And then the more you repeat that, so if we come back to the self piece in leadership, the more you repeat that and focus on that and create it, the more you can bring people on a journey, which then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and of course, that's immensely important because everybody needs to see results, even, you know, short, medium and long term. And I think that, that bit about purpose, when you when you see people with purpose or, you know, business with purpose, I think it really elevates people's thinking and behaviours. They're thinking beyond just the doing um, and taking things to a next level, for example, problem solving. You know, you can problem solve short term, but when you've got a purpose, there seems to be this bigger, um, the, you know, bigger picture, for example. Um, and it really elevates people. So a bit like driving a car, you know, we're not just looking at the pedals. We're looking at the we're looking at the windscreen. We're looking sort of further ahead. So if we if we agree that having that is is vital, um, not just at the individual level, but the business level. How do you go about creating a common purpose for something like, you know, a city council? When, you know, in my view, and I must be honest, I don't hold many, you know, councillors and people like that in very high regard. You know, too many are self-serving, uh, you know, they're lazy, um, and I, I just think they're in it for themselves. So how do you elevate people's thinking and behaviour behind a common purpose at a council level? Yeah, very, very good question, PJ. And I think my experience of people in my position are all elected stages is they're good people, sometimes not sure what, what they want, but they're also battling the same things in their day in, day out lives as everyone else. And so they're turning up to try and do something to create a better world. But one of the benefits of being in the system, being elected for 13 years and lost and lost and lost and lost and then won, um, is you begin to get clear about where you're going to add value. And I think the, the key bit about how you take a city behind the journey or a country or a group of people, one, you have to have that inner belief and purpose. And when you're talking about purpose, it radiates on a frequency. So if I'm talking to you now, my purpose is heart-driven. It's coming from me as a person, from all that I am. You know, our intuitive bodies can pick up on that. And if you're uncertain, human bodies can also pick on that, pick up on that at a subconscious level. So the key bit of being able to translate a vision across a group of people, however many people that is, in this case, you know, we're running an organization, the council that then influences and, and leads a city of quarter of a million people and uh, a large number of challenges, but opportunities. But you have to believe in it. And you have to also know that my job is not to do great things necessarily. It's to encourage others and motivate others to do great things um, and so it is about working on self I think I think <laughs> uh, to, to to talk to people to understand to set out a long-term trajectory and understand all the emotions that go on a long-term journey mm. so if you're taking people together on a journey 99.9% .9 of the people at the beginning might not get it which is great and so it's lonely in the beginning manage your own emotions through that is key but I do think 90% of everything is keep turning up. If you keep turning up saying the same message week in, month in, year in, year out, you build momentum and people obviously flow with activity and belief and then you create a mechanism. So, you know, I, I sort of look at it on my journey, 
convince a few people who are in my political team that this is doable, go and do that, deliver stage one or part one, that builds momentum, then you're on to part two, which is taking the team into a leadership piece of running a city. Find a few people you can work with, who you can talk to and create action and traction. So there's nothing really unusual about what we're doing on a city level than you would do on a business or even a person level. We're just talking about different numbers of people that we're influencing, but Gandhi is probably a good example of you know, motivating 300, 300 million people on a cause without the internet, without social media, and without violence to a purpose, whether you agree or disagree with the purpose or the cause, but you know, that's pretty phenomenal work that somebody's done previously. So it's entirely doable. Um, you just have a clear vision and get out there, talk to people and keep turning up really, I think. Isn't it funny, to, and I'm smiling because that, that clarity of purpose, you say without the internet, how a leader can rally so many people behind a common purpose with mm. good, you know, with good and without violence, as you say, is incredible without this thing called the internet, because now without social mm. media and uh, Instagram and various other things, you know, you sort of wonder how we how we actually manage to, to share those messages. But but great leaders in the past did. Now, can I ask you, you're, you know, you're talking about rallying troops behind a common cause. And Southampton is an interesting one um, for me, because I, th I genuinely think there's great potential in Southampton. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure we've really tapped into a lot of it. We've got, I mean, we've got fantastic diversity of people, of thinking, of cultures. And so how do you go about bringing, if I can, um, or aligning all that diversity behind a common purpose? Yeah. <clears throat> so I think one of the key things here is trying not to align it too much. We, Our minds can become obsessed with alignment, alignment, everything must fall in place. And actually in nature, everything flows into place naturally, as we know. Uh, and sometimes it goes <laughs> completely off tangent to come. So you can go wide, hugely wide to go narrow. All water ends up in the sea pretty much, um, but it can be big rivers and, and, and lakes in the meantime. So I, I think one of the key things when you're dealing with different people from different cultures and different understandings different political parties is not setting out to try and force, but actually the art of allowing people to come on the journey at their own pace and at their own understanding. That has really served me as a, as a sort of mindset. And then finding the commonality. So, you know, there are a million things that probably the leader of the opposition, the, the Labour Party here in Southampton and I could disagree on. For example, but sorry, for an example of a positive of where we agree, our city of culture bid, we're absolutely united on for our city. But, you know, that's one thing that we're passionately agreeing on to, to drive change. So you have to find the commonalities of, with people and then you have to allow everybody to come at their own stage, I think, and have the patience to do it, not only with them, but also with yourself. Um, and then keep going again. Um, so if you're rowing in a direction, it's understanding. I mean, I think Simon Sinek talks about this an awful lot, the early adopters and then the main mm -hmm. adopters and, and the why and itself. It you know, we need, you need a vanguard of people in the beginning that then creates some traction that brings some more people. But it's, it's having the belief that that will come. Um, and, I, and, and again, I know he, Simon Sinek refers to the Martin Luther King speech of, you know, thousands of people turned up for themselves. And, and I think in, as a city of 250 or 1,000 people, 
that's never quite met its potential. What we're really doing is unlocking the potential in human capital and people in this city to take it forward. But everybody will be on their own journey on that. And so what we're doing is going, you know what? If you believe this city can be something greater than what it is right now, whatever that is to you, let's just start walking together and we'll work the rest out. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I think that's crucial because the more defined we try and be in the beginning or even midway, the more controlling or agenda-driven it feels. Uh, and, and that can then put people off who are not necessarily on the same page. Now, of course, you've got to have some barriers, but wide to narrow, narrow to wide, wide to narrow, narrow to wide, and just keep moving. I really like the way you've described that, that difference perhaps between you know, trying to control something and having the vision that people can choose to follow. So can, can we talk a little bit about, um, and if you're allowed to, what is the vision for Southampton? Sure. Yeah, so it, uh, <clears throat> it's been adopted over the last few years. So the previous administration, the Labour Party, um, created it and, and we'd worked with them, but they were driving it and we've sort of built on that. So it's about creating this city of opportunity where people can really flourish to their full potential. So that's our vision piece. And what that really means is, is that we unlock, as I say, the human capital in this city and that people can achieve whatever their dream of themselves is in this place. So that's our vision piece. But I, I think the bit that becomes very, very powerful then is the mission. And I see our mission and talk about our mission about creating the environment where that happens. So to create the environment where that happens, I think, and what we're kind of working on as a philosophy is we need 50 people to start that journey to show it can be done. They will then show and create traction for the next 50 and the next 50 and the ripple effect will carry on. Um, you know, I'm using 50 as a number, it, it could be more or less, but, and, and that's, you know, where we want to take this city over the next, let's say 10 years and 20 years. Our city of culture bid, our Freeport bid, that will be the global gateway, global gateway to Britain, the UK PLC, a Freeport, a pioneering Freeport at the forefront of the green economy, at uh, the gateway to UK PLC, the major trading port gateway to the world for, for the UK and for Northern Europe as well. You know, here we are as a city, the powerful historical connection of being a port for thousands or hundreds into thousands of years, having been a very wealthy city, you know, only a few centuries ago, um, you know, there's a whole plethora of opportunity there that we can bring, but we need to sort of bring it and then shine it and allow allow more people to benefit from it um, than have done historically. And I do believe we're on the cusp of that. I can't quite define it all, but I don't think I really need to. I think we just need to get people moving behind it and indeed get them taking action and we'll work the rest out. It will become clearer. Um, so, you know, that's that's where we're working on at the moment. So, Daniel, you, you mentioned City of Culture, uh, a bid which is which is currently underway. And, you know, just when we talk about different cultures, you've got, I think, is it is it the European ladies football coming to Southampton next year? Have that's I correct. That right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that see that that's uh, if I may, that's interesting for me, because in, in essence, well, I, I think that's a great opportunity. Let, let's let's cut to. I think that's a fantastic opportunity to to elevate people's, as I said earlier, thinking, you know, and behaviours around football, particularly around women's football. Because I have to admit, I'm listen. I'm somewhat old-fashioned. If you say to me, "Do I want to come and watch the football or go to a football match on the weekend?" I first think men. Mm. But you know, you, so I think we, you know, we need to pay some attention to that. 
The second is, um, and I do want to ask is, how are we going to engage women in watching women's sport? Because it, it does seem to me that if we're really going to push women's sport, then we need to, you know, this we need to get more women interested in it. So how is Southampton? Here's the question. Um, and there's a couple of parts. One is how are we going to uh, really, really make the most of this opportunity of, of bringing uh, the ladies football to Southampton? And how are we going to engage the community in it to make it a success? Yeah, thanks, DJ. A really good question. And this is going to sound perhaps paradoxical or not very helpful. I actually don't know the answers to that, but I don't think I'm the person that needs to. What we have is a really good setup of Hampshire FA, women's football colleagues, our comms teams, our joint teams to work with, who are working up, working up the plans on those things now. And they will know better than I will about how to do that. Um, and that, that, that work is ongoing. So, you know, it is, it is happening at the minute. And I, and I think that question and perhaps answer really summarizes how we do what we're trying to do as a city. Because from my point of view, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on being reasonably good at a couple of things and very poor at then lots of things. <laughs> um, and, and it relies on a real good team of not just my immediate team and partners and associates, but also the city. So I know right now, and, and a few weeks ago when I was with the, the women's football teams and FA and, and colleagues um, to do the filming for, uh, for a year, for a year's time, they are all over this. They have a great plan. They're working up plans and that will be rolled out. And they know better than me how to do that um, and are really championing it because you're right, football has has and had uh, a stigma that it's a men's game and we really want to break that as a city. And, we, and I saw firsthand a few weeks ago um, the, the ladies playing football outside the bar gate and they're doing a great job and what it meant to them and how they got involved. And I think the, the key bit in all of this is if we can lift somebody in one part of their life, let's say it's football and they're female, let's say it's a, a guy that wants to learn how to um, go rowing on the water or, or, or somebody wants to learn how to cycle. However we lift somebody in one part of their life, we open a doorway to lift them in all parts of their life and that's what the City of Opportunity means because, as you know, we're all, we're all humans with a great capital, human potential inside of us, but we need to draw it out and we need people in an environment where, one, we know what the opportunity to draw it out is and two, we feel safe to do it and we can only do that by having people that show it can be done. Um, so, you know, that is my job, is to create that environment where it, the women's football can be championed, for example, in Southampton, and people feel really comfortable and they want to do it and they want to encourage others to do it. And that lifts people in their life. But if we lift them in one part, we're only going mm. to lift them in all of their parts of their lives. And those are the, cha those are the solutions to all the great challenges that we face, in my opinion, as a city. So if we, if we think about those just challenges for a minute we and we're thinking about your you know that strategy and purpose and mission that you eloquently talked about um if you can what are some of the the challenges that you think might slow or derail the vision for southampton sure so there's some numerical challenges or quantifiable challenges if you like you know we as of the end of May, we had 7,800 people still on furlough in the city. Um, uh, at the end of May, we still have a reasonable number of people 
um, in need of government support for universal credit, external to furlough. We have some really high obesity numbers. We have reasonably challenging crime numbers. Um, domestic violence as, is amongst that. We've got some uh, what is termed as deprivation, some challenging statistics. So those are all the numerical, statistical, analytical pieces. But if we really drill all that down, I think the real challenge we have, and I can only surmise here where this has come from, but, you know, the war in this city flattened it and we rebuilt really quickly. We had to build homes and communities really quickly, which have a real sense of pride in them, but many of them are disconnected to one another and to the city itself um, because of the nature of having to throw them up really quickly. <clears throat> uh, and I think what, what the real psychological stroke barrier, but then great opportunity for Southampton is, is we're an unfinished masterpiece. <laughs> You know, we're an untapped multiple gold mine that has some challenges about its own belief, about its own place in the world, about things keep happening but don't happen for us. Um, all of these psychological mindsets, if you like, that we need to work through in order to really unleash that potential. And so when we're talking about it, what we're really looking at doing over the next couple of years as a as sort of a council and as a city is going, do you know what? How do we use the worst of this COVID situation and the pandemic to galvanize the strength and the human capital and the belief that if we can get through this, we can get through anything and really take advantage of a bit of a window now to drive belief, create connection, create a, a higher sense of who we are in the world, even if it's only 0.1% more than yesterday, that we can then utilize in the future to unlock. So. This is really about the real challenge for us is our belief in ourselves, And I think the great opportunity in that is, from my point of view and my purpose, is really unlocking that. And to me, is there a quantifiable measure that will say that's been succeeded? I don't think so. You'll ju we'll just know it. Mm. We'll just walk around and we'll feel it. And, you know, politicians obviously like tangibles, but uh, this isn't that tangible yet. But you'll be able to feel it, I think. But let me ask. Um, I'm interested in in how you how you go about manning, uh, managing relationships, expectations, and right conflict, disagreement, conflict. Um, mm -hmm. So let, let me just let me give you a specific example, and um, only just because it's one I, it's one near and dear to my heart. It'll also be near and dear to other people's hearts for different reasons. Southampton Airport and the you know the extension of the runway. This is just an example, okay? You know, I want that runway extended and I want Southampton open because I want to be able to fly to work. Um, I want, well, first I want to get back to flying, but I also want to be able to fly to work. I want Southampton Airport to stay open. Yep. Now, there, will, there will be people who, who won't want the extension. Maybe they live at the end of the runway or they're concerned about you know the environment. So how do we manage, you know, if we're on this, if we're on this joint or if we're on this shared vision, Southampton 2030, you know, city of opportunity, and yet some want the airport open and some effectively want the airport closed. How do you go about managing that difference of expectation and emotions? Yeah, that's a very good question and a very good example. <clears throat> so I think start point is you're, you're never going to, <laughs> You're never going to please everybody. And of course, um, what you're trying to do is find the right balance in everything, um, which I think is what life really is about, isn't it? The balance in the middle. 
So there is always going to be positive and negative. So I think our job is to make the most of them rather than try and eliminate them. Um, we're in a climate challenge. It's called a climate crisis. And there are lots of opinions about what we need to do to sort it. I'm an optimist and my view very much is that we spent thousands of years getting to this point and I want us to be around for thousands of years more, but we cannot fundamentally change our way of working overnight without catastrophic impacts to the fabric of our society. And actually, you know, it's taken a long time to get here and it's going to take us some time to get out of it. So if we look at Southampton's airport, if we do not extend the runway and if we cannot fly to parts of the world, we cannot interact with people in the way that perhaps we need to. If we cannot interact with people in the way that we need to, and the demand is there, then we cannot advance because every day we're advancing and growing as humans. Equally, if we are not at the forefront of aviation, then we can't be at the forefront of decarbonizing aviation. We know vaguely, and it's still quite vague at the minute, but things can change very quickly that short haul flights will be at the forefront of decarbonizing uh, air travel. It will be much easier to decarbonize or, or change the fuels on a short haul flight than it will be on a long haul flight. Well, we've got a short haul based airport in our area that could then help us be at the forefront of the green economy, pioneering how we drive to 2050 net carbon zero target. So I, I, I think for me, when you're on the cusp of change, you don't just take a piece of paper and rip it all up and throw it in the corner and say, no, no, we can't have any of this more. We've got to adapt rather than completely alter. Now, some people will say, and they rightly are, Dan, you're completely wrong. You're underestimating the impact on, um, on the environment from carbon emissions. And we need to stop, not, not, we not need to alter. We need to stop everything we're doing now. I'm afraid I don't agree with that, um, and I, I'm an optimist. I believe that humans can find solutions to things, and indeed the challenge is there for us to grow rather than us to stop. Um, and I, I try and find common ground, PJ, but sometimes, you know, you're going to disagree. But, 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 but ultimately, I think if we can all come back to a bit that we do agree on, do we want to leave a better planet than when we came? Do we want to reduce carbon? Do we want to be environmentally friendly? Do we want to have a green infrastructure? Do we want to have a better, healthier way of life? I've never met a person who hasn't said yes to any of those things. So actually what we have to try and find is some mechanism in the middle to, to build as much consensus on that journey. Because we don't build consensus to net carbon zero and the opportunities for people rather than the punitive measures for people. Human instinct tells us that people will just switch off. You know, they, they need to know what it means for them positively rather than, again, in my opinion, rather than if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Because we've all been there, haven't we? You know, we were there as teenagers. If you smoke, you're going to die early. <laughs> and we all went and smoked and drank and blah, 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 and everything else. So, you know, everybody's got to go on their own journey of discovery in these things. And I think we need to be, we need to be open-minded that we're dealing with humans on a journey, not just we have to stop tomorrow. And if we don't stop, the world's going to end. And I'm, I'm dramatising it a bit, right. but... but that's my my view. And I was talking to Colin Russell the other day. He's over at Lillian Jets, you know, based out of Germany. But they, you know, mm. they're creating eVTOL, um, uh, you know, flights, electric vertical takeoff and landing jets. So you know, they're, they're looking at that forefront of you know, aviation, as you said. We've got to find different ways of doing things. And and even when you look at things like uh, you know F1, for example, not everybody likes F1, but there's a lot of things we learn from that. Um, 
battery power, you know, hybrid technology that finds its way back into the community on a more day-to-day basis, you know, for Marie, for example. So we're very bright. You know, people are amazing. When, when people choose to work together and solve things, we are absolutely amazing. And you can look back at, you know, historically, the fantastic work we've done, the engineering, um, pharmaceutical, for example, challenges that we've been even with COVID, look at how we've pulled together, how quickly we were able to deal with things. So when we unite, which I think is to your point, behind a common agreed purpose, we are absolutely amazing. Um, and we will find our own way to do those things. Some people in COVID, you know, they um, hand sanitizers, for example, others breathing apparatus, McLaren, for example, you know, we, 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 we know there's plenty of stories of that thing. So it's how we harness that, I think it's important. And you mentioned human capital earlier, um, how we tap into that wealth. And it is a, a, a wealth um, of capability, knowledge and experience, and then bring it together for the, perhaps the greater good. So you, what am I saying? You've got a big task on your hands. Um, for which yes. I, you know, listen, I, I admire you. And um, I, a little bit of a, you know, a cheeky thing here is, as I said earlier, you know, I, I do find a lot of a lot of people in some of these public roles to be an absolute waste of space. But when you find some good ones, and I think you are, we, we, we do really need to nurture that. Now, just a couple of things before we, we finish, if, we, if I may, is could you, what I'd like you to do is give us a couple of your top tips for leading business change. In essence, almost just summarise what you've said to us. A couple, a couple of top tips, Daniel. Sure. Well, having failed many times politically and business-wise, the, the best thing I can say is, is, it, is to, you've got to hard, work harder on yourself than on your business because your business is a reflection of you and all of the, all of the activity and the challenges you're facing are just an outward reflection of an inner, inner challenges, in, in my opinion. So work harder on yourself than you do on your business and really develop you and the rest will fall into place. Um, and I think business is then an emotional journey. So, you know, the, the challenges that we face, again, are just reflections. And, and the more we can look at them as reflections rather than actual, real, all, all this is gonna change everything, um, the better. We've got to keep ourselves level. We've got to work harder on ourselves. We've got to feed our own needs and self-love and self-care, which really isn't talked about enough um, because it's all work really hard and that is key, but it's work hard and smart. Um, so if we combine work harder on yourself, love yourself, look after yourself, have a real clear vision of what you want to do, people will gravitate to that and the rest will, will flow. Um, and I think you'll also feel not just successful, which can be an endless glass. If you don't, if you have to keep filling it up. It will never fill up. You'll feel at peace. And I think the more we're at peace and we're in more on in peace and purpose, the more we can achieve without pushing and with just allowing. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I've developed my philosophy through multiple things going wrong. So sort of adjusting it, but I really have come to a place of thinking, Everything we want is there. Actually, we're our biggest own barrier to it. If we allow ourselves to go on that journey, look after ourselves, invest in ourselves, redevelop really ourselves and become at peace with ourselves, a lot of what we seek will come. Thank you. No, genuinely. I think that, that philosophy around allowing, you know, making space, allowing things to happen is perhaps something we could all do with, you know, just really considering, do we, do we allow the good to happen? Do we allow the space to, that, to happen? Are we, you know, we were just busy running around doing, um, which isn't necessarily in, in perhaps in keeping with our purpose. Um, 
So listen, let me wish you very well, you know, over the next uh, 10 years or so Thank with you. the vision for Southampton and that 2030 vision for, you know, Southampton in a city of opportunity, the football that's coming, um, the culture bid. So you've got you've got a lot to do, um, but there's a lot of good people available. Um, as you said, that human capital to tap in and help you. So I wish you very well on that as a leader of self, um, leader within businesses in Southampton and, uh, and leader... Um, of Southampton City Council. So this is me, PJ Stevens, with my PJ Tips podcast, Leading Business Change, with guest today, uh, Daniel Fitzhenry, the leader of Southampton City Council. I do wish you very well indeed. If you want to get in touch Thank with you. me, it's pj at pjstevens.co.uk or the website pjstevens.co.uk. And Daniel, if you need any help with that football next year, please do ask. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.